Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dark of the truth and movies. Today, God's Own Country. Francis Lee's film of passion, sheep farming and a Romanian conquest is no holds barred. Is it also British Film of the Year? Patty Power. Daniel McDonald stars, works in bars and spits them too in patty cakes. A New Jersey raps to riches fable. Plus, Film Club. Rupert the Unbearable in the Scorsese classic, The King of Comedy. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Huzzah! And we're joined today, listener, by you, which is good, uh, also Adam Woodward. Hello. And Sophie Monks-Kaufman. Hello. Hi, Sophie. Hi. It's a very cheery hello, probably because you're about to head off to Toronto, to the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah, for the first time ever. Going to hit those movies hard. Right, which movie are you really looking forward to hard-hitting? Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. I, I just love the fantastical sets he builds and the dream worlds he takes you into. It's just thrilling. Okay. Who's in this one? Oh, I don't know. All right, but it's got Actors. Guillermo del Toro. And, yeah. yeah. What's your favourite del Toro film? Um, I think it's a toss-up between Pan's Labyrinth and the underrated Crimson Peak, which is just the glorious... Is that underrated? Well, some people have been hating on it, um, but we dedicated an issue to it, and it's just a uh, carmine-drenched romantic gothic dream. Wow, film club ahoy, because I must admit, I steered clear at the time, thinking... Nah. But, yeah, maybe we... Well, it's just, I think it's like it was billed and marketed as a horror and it's just something much more romantic at its core. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm a romantic, so that works. At your core. Yeah. Uh, Wherever, really. If you'd like to get in touch with us, by the way, listener, we're on email, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com, on Twitter, of course, at LWLies, and there's that Facebook page, The Futurist. Our friend The Futurist has got in touch, Adam. Uh, He has, yeah. Because we were talking about, in the course of our appreciation of the hitman's bodyguard we were talking about boat chases in films mm. david jenkins who hadn't slept for three days and a kind of hieronymus bosch like attempt to reach an artistic kind of pitch came on and he did a rambling appreciation of the boat chase scene in hitman's bodyguard which is pretty good yeah uh, futurist says uh the physically spent jenks asked which decade was best known for speed boat chases it has to be says the futurist the glorious 70s and he then posts an extraordinary eight minute boat chase uh, which he says is often cited as one of the best in movies a cat in mouse on water affair it's from puppet on a chain a 70s movie uh, movie adapted from an alistair mclean novel did I you did, see i saw the futurist uh did you watch comments. the clip I, I haven't done yet but i will i will go, oh, go back, back and, and watch yeah, it 
Yeah, puppet on a chain, boat chase. Google that. Should say that David's sleep deprivation was due to us being on a print deadline for the new yeah. issue of the magazine, which is out next week. Oh, there you go. That's yeah. nicely done. Little, little plug for that. Uh, can what? I just flag just while we're discussing people that are adult? I do feel a bit adult as I have been sick for about seven days. So I apologise if there are any throaty chuckles or any leans into delirium. Right. Never apologise for huskiness. Okay. Sophie, before we start, can we also just flag up tickets which are available uh, for two live shows that we're doing? One on Sunday, the 17th of September. Uh, We've mentioned this before. It's a London Podcast Festival, 9.30 that Sunday evening at King's Place, where we'll be doing all sorts of stuff, a lot of it to do with Close Encounters. Yeah, so Steven Spielberg's uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is getting a 4K restoration in time for its 40th anniversary, uh, and we'll be doing a lot of talking around that and hopefully have some extra stuff and some special guests. Boom, all right. Uh, we'll also be doing that sci-fi thing a week later on Saturday the 23rd of September in Dublin at the Dublin Podcast Festival. Uh, this one, as I say, Saturday evening at 8 o'clock. Come along and we'll show you Blade Runner. Sounds a pretty sweet deal. Right now, though, it's time for us to talk about God's Own Country. Do they call thee Georgie or something? Georgie. Whatever, get in. Our lab needs help. I could have managed. I've done so far. Yeah, of course you have. We're not running the charity for Waste and Strayed, like. It's perfect for me. It's beautiful here, but lonely, you know? Yeah, some fabulous Yorkshire burrs at work there in God's Own Country. Tale of a young Yorkshire sheep farmer who numbs his daily frustrations with binge drinking and casual sex till the arrival of a Romanian migrant worker sets him on a new path. This, a debut film by Francis Lee, who Heartbeat fans may remember, but now in a directorial role, has produced a picture which won the Best Director Prize at Sundance and also the prestigious Michael Powell Award at the Edinburgh Film Festival. Wow. It's a gay love story. Adam, a lot of people, two men, gay love story, up a mountain or a hill, uh, have made the comparison with Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, I guess there is a, a loose comparison in that it is a story about two men finding each other in this kind of remote, wild uh, environment. Um, I think that's probably where I would like end the comparisons, yeah. though. It's kind of an irresistible sell because it's a hook into an Oscar-winning picture that would make this film by a new director saleable. But there's another, I wish I could quit you, self-loathing, angst thing going on. Like the source of the drama is somewhere very different. Um, I would say I, when the director I think more of is like Kelly Reichardt because there's such a focus on the processes of farming life. Mm. Yeah, so apparently the two lead actors, Josh O'Connor and Alex Seccarano, uh, spent a few weeks on an actual working farm learning how to, uh, I guess, do all the things that you need to do to be a, a sheep farmer. Um, birth lambs, muck out, drive a tractor. They do it all in this. Yeah, you'd and see... And the birthing lambs bits are quite extraordinary. Also, the hands up cow's asses is pretty full on as well. Yeah, I think you see a hand up a cow's ass within mm. the first four or five minutes of the film. And um, there's, there's a particularly quite graphic but beautiful moment actually uh, midway through the film where a young lamb has died and um, the Romanian farmhand basically skins it and uh, uses its coat to blanket another lamb so that its mother will recognise it because this lamb is sort of... It's almost an orphan. It's basically an orphan lamb. 
Um, so I guess there's something to do with the the, the smell of the of the of the dead lamb will yeah. uh, associate with his mother. But yeah, it's a, it's a really beautiful moment and a, and a lovely metaphor actually for his relationship with Josh O'Connor's character uh, Johnny. Johnny Saxby, yeah. So did, I was because uh, I interviewed Francis Lee uh, the other week. And, oh really? Yeah, and he was saying that that scene you mentioned, Adam, was done in one take, and because the I men, think it would have to be, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If she had a supply of lamb, yeah. half a dozen. So. <laughs> you know, fair point. Because they'd spent these, I think it was even months working on separate farms because he wanted to create this sort of free song when they actually met in the film, and so he shot chronologically, and so that when they were getting to know the life of farmhands, they were working on separate farms, um, not with each other. But yeah, so obviously he the actor had become adept at sheep skinning and was able to replicate it on film, but he didn't have that emotional heartiness of his character Yogi. So afterwards he had to just take himself off for a moment and then have a little cry. Oh wow. Wow. As you or I might. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. mean it's 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 quite an emotionally hefty moment, I think, in the film. So there was no there's no like hand doubles or anything happening. No there. hand doubles, no. Um so when that hand goes up the cow's ass. A hand is going up the cow's ass. It's all authentic. Well, I don't like fakery. I wanted everything to be real, uh, Lee has said, and it does feel astonishingly real. I, we heard some of the dialogue before, and it's such a joy to listen to. But it is a, fil- a, a, a film that's a few words, and that the people are people of few words. And I guess the, the first thing is that obviously the character Johnny Saxby is dealing with a repression, but it's not so much a homophobic repression, it's more of almost an, an emotionophobic repression. Nobody deals with anything in words on this farm. I think it's this idea of um, the expectations of what being a man is, uh, especially in this world, in this place where essentially he's um, having to look after the family farm after his father's suffered a stroke or a series of strokes. Um, and his grandmother is there very much kind of keeping things together. She's, you know, cooks and cleans and does the ironing. Um, and yeah, I think the the pressure that Johnny exerts through the various self-harm and 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 rage uh, fits that he expresses in this film yeah to me comes down to that idea of like what especially young men uh, are expected to do the roles they're supposed to fulfill in society that's really interesting yeah? um because it, this ties into uh, a lot of conversations i've been having recently with my female friends about the patriarchy just to go off on a rabbit hole about the patriarchy and it actually harms men in as much as it harms women because for men that you're taught not to express your feelings and male suicide rates are disproportionately high. And yeah, you're right. He is a male character who just has no outlet for all the turmoil that he holds inside. Mm. So he's just very monosyllabic, just kind of rushing through life. What I what I really liked about this film is that it's very organic. It's it's almost like Francis Lee plants something at the start and then just sits back and films a portrait of it naturally growing. There's no sense that at any point I think of the director pushing the narrative in a certain direction. It, it, it seems to happen in an utterly real fashion. That's also helped, I think, by the photography and, and the, the pace of the story. Mm, definitely. I think that the the time that he gives to to showing them coexisting in this in this space and it's a very yeah, it's a very wild, rugged landscape. And mm. yeah, the, the the landscape really like reflects their kind of personalities and they're they're both quite stoic and um yeah there's there's some amazing moments where they're just observing the landscape and and reflecting on its kind of beauty and majesty it's raw yeah flinty beauty yeah it's very explicit film this i mean we mentioned all the kind of 
animal business, but it is a very explicit film. Well, I think it's like a film of two halves. Like it, the first half is setting the pace of this way of life and introducing the setting and introducing the character, and the second half is where the romance kicks in and it's like a real dance between these two people you know like it kind of goes from when they first meet and they're a bit wary and uh, Johnny's being a bit disrespectful to Yogi but Yogi can take it and then they kind of develop a bit of a rapport and then they begin a physical relationship um, and but it's very physical rather than romantic and then out of this and out of spending these long, lonely days together on the farm, also tenderness comes in. And although it's like a film that, yeah, it's like very natural and it feels very natural, it's also very brilliantly, subtly well-structured in terms of being a romance. It's like a soaring romantic film that incorporates the sexual as well as the emotional. And in fact, the romance grows out of the sexual and that's why it's so thrilling to watch. That is also not afraid to show them in the physical act of love. There's a lot of exchange of like fluids in this film, uh, <laughs> some some spit and, and and also between in the process of like the farming uh, yeah. actions that, that he that he kind of carries out. Um, Johnny, you're right. There's a lot of saliva. You see a lot of saliva and a you lot do, of like, yeah. animal fluids and things. Yeah. All right. So if you like that kind of thing, this this film's for you. When you met Francis Lee, this is his first film, and it's remarkable yeah. that he's come up with something so assuredly simple, and yet profound in, in its in its message. Uh, did, does he come across as a very intense guy? Is he very sure of himself? What kind of a- No, he's he's really nice. He's got this generous laugh. Um yeah, he, he just he like comes across as someone who carries a lot around in his head. Like he wrote this film in four days and I was like, how? And he said he just worked it all out in his head. And he's got his next film already worked out in his head and he can't wait to just set it down. So I think he's someone who just has a very rich interior life and he can hold a lot in there. Uh, he's also a Yorkshire farmer himself and part of this was actually filmed on his on his dad's farm so you're giving this what fives across the board what are we looking at so four just because you know he's a he's a first time director and a lot of people knowing my uh, Porsche for sensual cinema have been like dude you should see this film so it was on my radar and I really wanted to see it so it was a four and then yeah five five because I just cannot wait to go and see it again right Adam I'd go four anticipation, four enjoyment, and five in retrospect. Really? Interesting. And I just went and um, looking at Francis Lee's uh, IMDb page, saw that he directed a short film a few years ago called The Farmer's Wife as well, which mm-hmm. I've checked out and is, is very good. All right. The seeds of this are kind of sown in that a little bit in terms of the, the setting and the, the tone of it. Excellent. Yeah, I, it wasn't something that I was particularly pushed either way. I'm not sure had I seen the synopsis or the poster that I would have gone, yeah, I must go and see that. But I really enjoyed it. So probably like three, four at the time and then definitely five after because it really stays speaking to you, this film. All right, excellent. Hey, that was God's Own Country, which gets a very big thumbs up here on Truth and Movies. I wonder if our next film, Patty Cakes, will fare as well. <laughs> Cakes, acclaimed commercial and music video director, it says here, Jeremy Jasper has made, written, soundtracked and directed for a budget of just one million. This tale of Patricia Dombrowski, a.k.a. Killer P, who's an outsized white girl looking for glory in the world of rap from her downtrodden hometown of New Jersey. Here's the moment as she makes a typically low-key entrance to the pharmacy where her fellow rapper, Jerry, works. Lords and ladies of the royal court, bow down. 
The Queen is in the building. Introducing Miss Patricia Dabrowski, a.k.a. Patty Case, a.k.a. White Trish, a.k.a. Gypsy Luciano, a.k.a. Marilyn Mansion, a.k.a. Jane Doe, a.k.a. Introducing the ladies' choice, the voice that gets you moist. It's gonna be an Indian summer, y'all. Mr. Jerry Curls, aka Young Stables, aka Deepak Shakur, aka the Durag Da Vinci, aka Raw Dog Zillionaire, aka the Quiet Storm Boys and Girls. I give you my soulmate, my homeo. It's Jeromeo! This isn't showtime at the Apollo, okay? We have customers here. Play make believe on your lunch break. Sorry, my bad. Sophie, in Cairns, the film got a 10-minute standing ovation with the French crowd at director's fortnight chanting, Patty Cakes, Patty Cakes. Is this a hip-hop film for the Cote d'Azur crowd? Um, well, much as I'd like to position myself as an expert on the Cote d'Azur crowd. Did you know what I mean? Uh, I guess I know what you mean. I also saw it in a fairly theatrical setting. I saw it closed the film for a summer screen and the crowd were going wild. Yeah, I was there with you. I saw you. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think this, this film's biggest strength is it has a very unusual heroine in the lead role. So she's someone you can really root for throughout even though it, in certain ways it's, it's quite a cliched and predictable film the lead is very um, like you just don't you just don't get characters like patty cakes in a film and you just want her to come out on top yeah i mean it is it is like an out and out crowd pleaser it's very much going for that i found myself wanting to root for her but more than you were actually rooting for more than i was actually rooting for her because mm. i think and actually, maybe we'll come on to this in a minute when we talk about the King of Comedy. But for me, there was this element of like her having these sort of delusions of, you know, fame and, and fantasy and wanting to become a superstar rapper. Uh, and undoubtedly, she has talent. And you see that in this film. Mm. Um, apparently, the director, Jeremy Jasper, wrote all of the rap lyrics for this, which is quite impressive, I think. But yeah, I, to me, it just spoke of like this culture or, or, or like youth culture of wanting to attain like a kind of celebrity status without necessarily putting in the hard yards and oh. yes yes she goes about she puts in the hard yards to, to an extent i mean she she goes You're to the local her work ethic, she you? she goes to like the local open mic night we see her spending a bit of time like writing that scribbling down lyrics and, right but actually maybe you could just say well she doesn't have the opportunity because she's from this sort of blue collar mm. new jersey background and and that's all you need to really know but yeah i i just felt for me She's like striving to obtain something that she doesn't really necessarily know what, what that is. Yeah, it's oh, like, I, I think she's pretty clear on what she wants and, and she seems to be working pretty hard to get there. But it's interesting the parallel you make with King of Comedy where, as we will touch on, it's about someone who is very mediocre but has a sense of entitlement or a sense, a delusional sense of the fact that they are due a, a starring role. And this... If I can say one thing that I had an issue with with this film, I think the film utterly believes that she has the talent, that she does deserve to be a star, but this is kind of my problem. Whereas, and we talked about the Brokeback Mountain comparison with God's Own Country, the, the clear comparison here is 8 Mile. Whereas in 8 Mile you had Eminem and you had a clear sense that it was for real. He was a real talent. He had been through these real things. I don't think, and this is largely, I think, because it was Jeremy Jasper who scripted the entire thing, that the music lives up to the bid for stardom that it's trying to sell. There's a couple of scenes which I re thought really worked, the PB&J thing, and especially the one where Jerry and Killer P are just sitting on top of a car 
just looking across the river at Manhattan and they start to do, and you can actually, if you want to Google this, it's called Thick and Thin. And there's a great kind of freestyle that they do with Jerry doing the beat on the on the roof of the car. That really got me on board. When it came to the bit where the movie really had to pay off, the big throwdown at the end, the big talent show mo- moment at the end, when you, it really had to take it to another level. Instead, we got this very stereotype, almost 10 years old kind of rock-rap hybrid, which kind of fizzled out for me. I think it's quite a charming film, and maybe because I saw it in such a charming setting, and I liked it, but, yeah, I didn't think it was a classic. For me, there's, like, these two elements headbutting against each other. The thing that felt inauthentic to me is, like, downtrodden home life, check. Ill relative, check. Has to get a job she doesn't care about, check. And so it, was like, it felt like all the strands that have been fed in were very deliberate from the, like, how to write a movie about someone striving against the odds. But then it, where it felt, there were certain moments where it felt so authentic and there was just this vivacious energy that was just so weird that created a mood that was, is not something that I had seen in any film before. Like, the way that, yeah, when they record P, B and J, they're recording in that one character called Baxter has this very well kitted out studio right beside a cemetery. It's called the Gates of Hell. So they're, they're recording in his crib and her nana's there, played by Kathy Mariotti, with her like gravelly voice, which just gets sampled on the track. And the way it comes together is just so, it's just so odd. And I love those moments where all bets were off in terms of what the film was doing and the type of mood it was creating. And there are a few like that, but then it would go back to this rote storytelling. Um, mm. I think the strongest stuff here is the relationship between Patty and her mother mm. and her friends and the other people in, in her group. But yeah, just to sort of elaborate on an earlier point, I think I'm not in any doubt as to like what she's trying to achieve, but like what she thinks that is and what it actually means. Right. So she idolises a, a sort of producer, rap star in this called, uh, called OZ. Mm. There's a scene where their sort of paths cross and you, you realise actually what this person represents is something quite shallow and materialistic. And for me, initially, that's what she seems to be striving towards or aspiring to. It's this very superficial right. idea of celebrity and fame. And at the point at which she sees the truth of or the reality of what that is, it could have been a really op- good opportunity for for the film to do something a bit more brave with her character arc. And actually, no, she just ends up going down the same route. There's a slight diversion, but right. yeah, that, that end kind of big showdown scene at the talent show firmly puts her on that track again. Right. Uh, and it leaves you with this very affecting and, and moving uh, sequence that ultimately, I think, is a bit of a kind of torpedo in, in the film. Well, it's like in terms of the genre of the film and what the film is and isn't aware of, it's it's kind of interesting. I th- I think the film's language is almost like fairy tale. So you, in Daniel McDonald as Patty Cakes, you've got a woman who, throughout the film, she's getting low level abuse for being fat, and I find that moving just t- to see uh, a woman who doesn't look like how society tells us we're supposed to look just trying to achieve a goal against this barrage and it's for me it's strongest part and it comes down to her being someone to root for and Adam I just want to take a moment to salute you for your subtle point she's just kind of got the generic default succeed achieve materialistic happiness goal but that's what people buy into like as as a way out people of whatever situation they have they just buy into the the default goal Kids will yeah, dream of making it whatever that means. I just, I just think it, basically it's a film about finding your voice, and I wish that had kind of stayed a bit more like local and personal to her, and not gone to that fame. 
Mm. I thought it was a charming film. The, the performances are so winning. Danielle McDonald's terrific Australian actress. But it was actually Harish, or no, a.k.a. Jerry, played by Siddharth Dananjay, who I th- was, really, was, for me, the, the standout character. I absolutely loved him. Did you have fun watching it, Adam? I had fun to to an extent. I think just in terms of the the performances, I don't think the characters are particularly um, strongly written. I love the the main, I say, the main dynamic between Patty and and the other people in her troupe. Mm. Yeah, and it's very it's very well made. I mm. mean, you know, the, for a million as well. For a million, and when the, when the music kicks in, I mean, obviously, subjective. Whether you whether you appreciate the rap lyrics and the music is is another thing, but yeah, when when the music does kick in, it really I mean for me I felt myself kind of tapping my foot along and and getting quite excited in those moments. So yeah, all right, it's a film you want to like, I think, and uh, by and large you did, and the same goes for you, Sophie. That's right, and also I was wondering if I could uh, involve our dear friend the futurist again for oh, a yeah. moment. Okay, so we all loved another film set in New Jersey called Patterson by Jim Jarmusch. But the futurist, a resident of New Jersey, complained that it doesn't accurately reflect New Jersey. So I would, I'd like to hear his take on how accurate a reflection of New Jersey patty cakes presents. Yeah, for sure, futurist. Let us know. Okay, give it some numbers then. Uh, anticipation three. I was in Cannes and I wasn't drawn to go and see it then. Sorry, I didn't mean to just mention that I was in Cannes, but I was in Cannes, guys. Are you aware? Um, so Anticipation 3, enjoyment. Because it was eventified and I was sat next to my friend, also called Sophie, I think I give it a four for enjoyment. In, in retrospect, three. A three in retrospect. Okay. Adam, your scores? So I was just going to say Sophie. What, what would your and the other Sophie's rap group name be? Uh, Sophie's with a Z at the end. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I should give my scores. Yeah, Ad Rock. Three across the board. Just three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't particularly that bothered. When I got there, it was this big event. The director spoke. One of the cast was there. They were so charming that I started the film on a real high. It kind of gradually wore off as the film went on. I'd still give it a probably four at the time, but maybe three in retrospect. It's it's a fun film. Okay, anyway, well, there you go. Patty Cakes, there are certainly worse ways for you to spend your time at a cinema starting this Friday. How about that for a recommendation? Up next, it's Little White Lies Film Club. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, Little White Lies Film Club. Last week, dear listener Lynn in Santa Fe suggested that with the recent passing of comedian and actor Jerry Lewis, we take another look at the 1982 Martin Scorsese film, The King of Comedy, in which Lewis plays a late-night talk show host who is the subject of an increasingly dangerous obsession by aspiring comedian Rupert Pupkin, played by Robert De Niro. Here's the moment where Rupert is trying to impress his friend Rita at a restaurant. Just a couple of hours ago, do you know who I was talking to? Guess. Your shrink? <laughs> That's very funny. No, Jerry Langford. That's right, the Jerry Langford. He gave me the go-ahead reader, would you believe it? And you know what? Don't tell anyone yet, but you're looking at the new king of comedy. <laughs> Why not me? Why not? A guy can get anything he wants as long as he pays the price. What's so funny about that? I mean, crazier things have happened. You don't understand what a shot on Langford means. That's coast-to-coast national TV, a bigger audience than the greatest comedians used to play to in a whole lifetime. A shot at a free ticket on the comedy circuit, a comedy show of my own, the Rupert Pupkin show, everything. And all that leads in one direction, Rita. Hollywood, a beach house in Malibu, right on the ocean, and we'll keep a suite at the Sherry. Everybody stays there when they make it big, way up top so we can look down at everybody and yell, hey, tough luck, suckers, (laughs) better luck next time. Come on, what do you say? It sounds wonderful, Rupert. I wish you the best of luck, you know, but it's getting late and I'm a working girl. I gotta go home. I, I don't get you. Here I am offering you a way out. Rita, every king needs a queen. I want you to be mine. Robert De Niro at his most unlikable then. Sophie, for anyone who didn't catch this, could you just give us a quick preview of the plot? Okay, so Robert De Niro plays Rupert Pupkin, uh, who is an aspiring comic with an obsessive fan crush on Jerry Langford. And he seems to think that friendship with Jerry will be his passport to success as a comedian. Jerry is not that reciprocal, and things take a dark turn. Nice. What did listeners make of this, Adam? Uh, Well, Sarah Randall uh, is very pro this film. She says, watched it last night, amazing performances. It's a long overdue first watch and a great way to remember Jerry Lewis. Mm. And Patrick Marlborough says it's the earliest and maybe best representation of the anti-comedy. And then our guy Steve Evans says, another great twisted protagonist. De Niro and Scorsese's second best film, Taxi Driver Take a Bow. Much prefer this to Raging Bull. Right. Paul Ewart is saying it's a curate's egg of a film in which Jerry Lewis is better than Robert De Niro. He's amazing in this film, Jerry yeah, Lewis, fa- isn't he? Famously, as much as he was won a lot of plaudits at the time, basically said that it wasn't a performance, he was just playing himself. Right, OK. Tariqa Ziz, meanwhile, what do you think about the theory that the ending, this is a spoiler if you, if you didn't go back and watch it, listen, but is in fact just more of his fantasy? Is that right, Sophie? Is that what the ending's saying? It didn't say that to me, but I, I think it's uh, it's it's an ending that does encourage speculation mm. if you are speculatively inclined. 
Yeah, we were talking just before coming in into the studio here about the entity's taxi driver and, and sort of readings of that. And I think this is slightly more ambiguous than taxi driver's ending. And yeah, I, I like the I, I like the idea of reading it as an extension of his fantasy that last scene. And it's quite stylized the way it's presented. Yeah, his, yeah. His his success at the end. So which does suggest that maybe that's what Scorsese is aiming at. The Travis Bickle comparison there. From uh, Taxi Driver came before this, didn't taxi it? Taxi Driver's before this, yeah. right? Also, I would say with Taxi Driver, that ending—if you take it—if the Taxi Driver ending, if you took it as real, which most people don't, it doesn't add a level of meaning. Whereas King of Comedy, if you take the ending as real, it adds an extra layer of satire because it's saying that all his endeavours didn't get him fame, but getting notoriety got him right. fame. And I think that's one of the issues. Why it is such an uncomfortable watch? This is that it does seem entirely the way that the world works, even though there's absolutely not a redeeming shred of humanity in pretty much anyone. It was certainly not in the the main two characters. Mm. It does seem entirely plausible. Um, to what extent is De Niro a proto-Alan Partridge in this film? Oh, very much so, I think. I mean, his sort of constant, incessant verbal diarrhea. I mean, any time... He just holds court at any time, whether he's on the stage or in in a bar or just on the street with someone. And it's probably the least De Niro-esque performance, certainly at that point in his career. Um, and one that, if you read some of the stories about the film and the making of it, I think one that he found the most difficult in terms of getting into character and with his method approach staying in it as well. And famously, I think him and Jerry Lewis, there was a bit of tension between them on set a lot of the time as well. Right. Scorsese was saying that it was a really unsettling experience making the film, uh, in part because of the the material, uh, very bitter storyline. And he and De Niro actually didn't work together for seven years after this because it was so emotionally grueling. It's now 22 years since they've worked together or collaborated on a film, but they're they're about to uh, in The Irishman, which I think we mentioned before. This is um, Scorsese's film of the man who's alleged to have offed Jimmy Hoffa. Mm him looking back on his life and all the, the famous hits he did and incredible cast that he's assembled Joe Pesci's come out of semi-retirement for this yeah Al Pacino as well Al Pacino's in it too right I think just on to go back to the Travis Bickle mm. comparison what I like about this performance specifically and Rupert Pupkin as a character is that you see so little of his backstory or really like who he is um, and you can't say that he's someone who's necessarily like marginalised or you know an outlier of society as Travis Bickle is. I mean, the most that he really that we see him really suffering is people getting his name wrong, calling him like Pupnik and Pumpkin and, and other variations, which is just like genius screenwriting. But to all intents and purposes, he's just like a normal guy with like these insane you know delusions of grandeur and a powder blue suit. And uh, just a perfect little puffy hair and moustache and a permanent, ever-present, strained smile. I, I just love the way his character is dressed and the way he conducts himself. And, uh, yeah, the, the pumpkin pumpkin. When people call him Mr. Pumpkin and you see that smile for a second f- falter, but then it stays in place. Uh, the thing is, it's funny, we're talking about how twisted a film is. I, also, I think it's one of Scorsese's funniest films. And he's obviously a director who's primarily known for his gangster films, these, like, very bloody sweary films but he's got a brilliant sense of humour it's just perfectly bleak and the tone of the king of comedy it's like even though it, it, on paper if you describe the plot line it's very uh, you know harrowing it, it, the tone of it is just perfectly poised between menacing and awkward and just absurdist comedy there are so many moments that are just hilarious and- I, must admit, I don't think I laugh once in this film 
Well, I think it's there are things there for you to laugh at, but yeah, in a sort of gallows humour, yeah. absurdist way. Maybe I'm more twisted than you. Are. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Did you spot, by the way, um, the clash in this film? Oh yeah, they're in yeah. the in the street. Yeah, uh, parade. I was not aware of that. Yeah, the, where Robert De Niro and Sandra Bernhardt are arguing in the street. Mick Jones, Joe Strummer, and Paul Simonon, and I think it's a Don real, like, there as well. It's a real like you have to pause it to sort of see. Oh, that. Okay. I think the the just the casting of De Niro as well. I might have seen like a given at the time, um, considering their fruitful collaborations with mm. the Taxi Driver and other things. But actually, I think it's quite an interesting and quite a bold decision because obviously De Niro was not known as a comic actor probably until he made Meet the Parents that he no Midnight Run. Midnight okay, Midnight Run, I guess, is is a good example. But as he's, he's so funny in that film in a way that I don't think he's ever really done before. Because then he started to play for comedy. Midnight Run for me really yeah. nails the, but the, the doing it but not doing it. Right, but in this, he's everything about his character is supposed to say that he's funny from you know what he looks like to the way he kind of talks and carries himself. But De Niro does this beautiful. So it is like an anti-comic performance, as uh, Patrick wrote in. I'd love to know the story behind the final monologue that he delivers on on TV because I think it's actually quite a skill to write jokes which are like funny in terms of like grammatically they make sense as jokes but you're not really encouraged to ever laugh at them. Well that's because it's so sad and that's interesting it's like what makes something funny because people can make humour out of the most adverse circumstances but I guess maybe it's because we believe in the robustness of the comic in this case, maybe because we know he's so delusional, we know that the situation he's describing, the hard luck circumstances of his upbringing, we know that they've addled him and shaped him uh, irredeemably. And It's that thing of, like, just from a scriptwriting point of view, like, it had to be funny enough that the jokes made sense and worked in, yeah. in, a, in that context, but not too funny that you actually did want to laugh at them, you know? Yeah, think, oh, maybe this guy's got something. What yeah. is Jerry Langford's problem? <laughs> it's, it's, a brilliant, it's a brilliant piece of screenwriting. Can I just call back to the fact mm-hmm. that you say you didn't laugh at all, James? Mm. You didn't laugh when the lady on the payphone said, said you, I you hope you get, get cancer. cancer. Uh, no, I recognised that it was a, a comic moment and the juxtaposition of her well-wishing and then ill-wishing was, was neatly done. Um, I may have had a wry smile, but... Um, well, Jerry Lewis has said, or had said that that... Was something it was a genuine moment to happen to him, yeah. to him yeah. and Scorsese credits him for directing that scene basically as it was you know in that experience can I ask because you do have a following I, has anyone ever popkin you um no, the closest thing to that, actually, and it's on film, is a moment when I was recording a uh, film review outside a cinema with a big thing of popcorn, and this woman passed and said, "Can I have some of your popcorn?" and I said. No, actually, would you mind not? She said, may you choke on it. <laughs> just like just like that, she said, oh, can I have some? I said, no, we're actually filming. She said, can you choke on it? Wow, that's why you didn't laugh. It was just too close oh, to maybe home, so. that scene. That's, that's so. eerily similar to yeah. the, uh, Jerry <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, right, anyway, so there you go. That was King of Comedy. Wait, no, wait, wait. we have right. to mention Masha. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, so Sandra Bernhardt. One of the regular criticisms thrown at Scorsese is that he just doesn't have very many female characters. Oh, okay, right. And she is she is the cream of the crop. She's just such a fascinating character, and the performance is just what I love about all the characters in this film that clearly don't disturb me as much as they disturb other people, which is maybe a cry for help from me. Um, it, it, she's just very sincere in her romantic conviction that she and Jerry are meant to be together, mm. and. Th- that scene where she serenades him 
even though he's bound head to foot in masking tape, which is not the classic romantic hero look, she thinks they're really sharing a moment. And she's so scornful of Rupert's errors and madnesses and delusions, but so utterly oblivious to her own. And she just gives like such a like she she steals every scene she's in because she's like she's got this screwy energy and she's so focused on everything. And she's uh, it's a performance that I find absolutely hypnotic. So that you think is probably the finest female character in his films. Yeah, I, I think it's he the most didn't script that. She had libbed the whole thing. Okay, well there. <laughs> so which which might be the reason. <laughs> but I, I think I'm right in saying that she hadn't acted before it's like one of her first roles so right hence the reason he wanted her to ad lib it just so it felt more natural and was more of her her own character coming through yeah well it certainly does Alrighty. anything else you want to say about the king of comedy adam no i just if you know anyone listening hasn't um ever seen it before i think it's maybe one that even though it's highly regarded nowadays obviously at the time it didn't do very well which i can kind of see why and it's something which now seems like really you know years ahead of its time and quite yeah. prescient I would just encourage people to go and seek it out and uh, yeah, give it a watch, especially in the context of Jerry Lewis's uh, well non-performance, as it were, and uh, Scorsese and De Niro doing this film at the time at which it was made, and it must have seemed like quite a curveball from those two. What are we going to ask people to watch for next week's film club? So next week uh, we're going to be looking at a film called Martha Marcy May Marlene. Well done. Which came out in 2011, I believe. Mm. Uh, director Sean Durkin. Um, psychological, back, sort of backwards American drama. But I certainly remember seeing it then thinking it's one of the best debuts I'd seen in years. What happened to you? You're a teacher and a leader, Marcy. Now prove it. Shoot it. They're living animals. So shoot Max then. I know who I am. I am a teacher and a leader. You just never let me be that. I don't think she should stay with us anymore. We can't ignore the fact that her behavior is insane. I'm her only family. We have to leave. We all have to leave. What happened? I don't know. Cult viewing in a very real sense. Sophie, you're going to be in... Canada next week, but why don't you tell us what you think of Martha Marcy, etc., etc., okay. right now? Oh, so it, it was like a breakout performance. No one knew who Elizabeth Olsen was. Like everyone knew who her sisters, the Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen twins, were. And then suddenly there's this another Olsen, and she's in this movie. And it's just such a wonderful depiction of the encroaching forces of darkness around a young woman. And John Hawkes plays a, a charismatic, oh-so-creepy cult leader who sings a song. The, the slow-burn sinister forces and this, this idyllic, lush setting. And, yeah, it's just a really great psychological thriller. Wow. I'm really looking forward to re-watching it. And the reason that we're doing it, Adam, is because of Wind River, is that right? Yeah, which is coming out next week, uh, stars Elizabeth Olsen, um, and is uh, the new film from Taylor Sheridan, mm -hmm. who's a sometime director and screenwriter who did, last thing he did, I think, was Hello High Water. Hello High Water. And he did Sicario as did well. Sicario, yeah. Okay, so we've got quite a busy week then. We've got Mar Martha, and we've got uh, Wind River, and It. Yes, It. I'm not another another Stephen King, yeah. the good Stephen King adaptation of this show. Thrills and chills coming up next week on the show. 
Fabulous. Get in touch with your thoughts on anything, but particularly next week's Film Club. The email address again is truthandmovies at tcolondon.com, Twitter at LW Lies. Anything else you'd like to mention? Do you know what? We, we haven't mentioned Tobe Hooper. Tobe Hooper passed away last week. Is it, it's Toby Hooper, isn't it? Is it Toby? I think it's I didn't even do his Toby. name right. Toby Hooper. Scott Weinberg says, important to remember that filmmakers like Hooper, Craven and Romero created original stuff that was copied forever. Rest in peace. Trey Lawson says many will talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was Toby Hooper's... I think most famous film but let's not forget the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 as a brilliantly dark satirical response to early 80s horror do you know I've not seen either oh, it's well worth checking out 2 um, 2 and 1 actually had the um, privilege of seeing 1 a few years ago uh, at a cinema in Austin okay. for its 40th anniversary which ah. is obviously quite you know it being in Texas and all um, and he was there introduced the film and yeah he's an absolute scream he was he was hilarious actually introducing it gave some nice colour and anecdotal stuff about the making of the film and yeah watching it kind of restored and on the big screen was quite amazing I think it's still one of my favourite if not favourite ever character introductions when you first meet Leatherface really? Mm. I've not seen it oh, if you ever get the opportunity to see it on a big screen the sound design especially it is bone chilling Ooh. Adam thank you so much for uh, being with us today Sophie enjoy your trip to Toronto thank you uh, listeners remember to snap up those tickets for our live appearances either in London on the 17th or Dublin on the 23rd and have yourselves a great week for now this has been Truth and Movies a 7 digital production Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.